Welcome to another episode of Learn with Bestern, where we discuss the latest trends in leadership development, self-development, as well as well-being. There's so much information out there. We want to make sure we bring in the latest insights and research based on neuroscience and behavior change to give you the tools that you need to make a change in your personal and professional lives. Join us on a journey to learn more. We hope you enjoy this episode and don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with others that might find it helpful. We are good to go. So, good news is that this pandemic has shifted the mindset of people from the intensity of work and indulging ourselves with instant gratification, the pleasure or, or pleasure to a time where even corporates are talking about purpose at work, where individuals have started to reflect on giving meaning to their lives. Um, and these two years have been years of growth of number of life coaches, literature on self-development, even podcasts like this one, trying to help people to find their own ways to fulfillment. Most of what we hear about life purpose is based on the development of self-awareness, positive psychology. And I wanted to find an individual who goes beyond these choices. And yes, I found that guy. And I'm happy to introduce Jason Murchie, is who is a philosophical thinker. Jason has been studying psychology and social behavior. He has a master's degree in clinical psychology and he is a graduate uh, of philosophy and ethics from the Harvard University. <clears throat> so Jason, I hope that you don't mind if I'm a little bit impressed, four books, that's a lot. And your passion about the discovery of philosophy and wisdom. Um, and by the way, your fourth book is entitled wisdom, a very valuable virtue that, that cannot be bought. And it's kind of a unique combination of psychological research, philosoph philosophical principles, and personal insights. Uh, what I like the most about your book is it talks about wisdom in kind of a non-elitist way. Like, it is accessible for people who are not intellectual, so normal people like me can read it, and it's not like Slap in the face saying, no, you're not part of the, of the gang. Jason, I wanted to understand, first of all, is there a personal story behind becoming this type of wisdom lover? What is your story behind? Why did you write these books? Well, thank you, and uh, nice to uh, be on. I uh, appreciate what you say. Um, I have always been interested in, in things like, um, you know, psychological health, well-being, um, wisdom, uh, personal growth, um, the, the values and virtues that have been studied, you know, in ancient Greece, you know, ancient India, China, uh, all the way through to today are, are really very, um, they're very deeply impressive to me. Um, and, you know, I think a person who, sp speaking of what you said about how I'm not too elitist in the book when it comes to knowledge or wisdom or, you know, who can understand what, um, you know, philosophy comes from the Greek for uh, the love of wisdom. Yep. So in a sense, obviously, if you have a PhD in philosophy, you are a philosopher. But also, uh, if you love wisdom, you are a philosopher, in a sense. <laughs> so 
Uh, I, I don't have a, a PhD or a BA in, in philosophy, but I've been interested in it for so long. Um, I feel sort of like, you know, I, I'm not um, the world's most prestigious, you know, exponent of these concepts. Uh, not yet. But, <laughs> but that's okay because each of us has to live our own lives and very few of us are going to obtain a PhD in philosophy. So the question is, what can you know, quotations and books and life experiences and meditation and teachings and all these things, what can they um, teach us that that is valuable? And, and in so doing, I think that's really kind of getting your hands on wisdom. But to answer your question, yes, I've always been interested in it. I had a, um, a sort of a strange, difficult childhood. Uh, and so when I took a philosophy class at age 18 and then, and then another one at 19, I was very inspired because uh, all these um, people who, who were able to do a, a level of thinking that was just head and shoulders above what my high school teachers or my high school buddies or my, uh, you know, whatever had, had done, it kind of, and it was, that was sort of non-religious because I was raised Jewish and I um, was around a lot of Christians and I did have, uh, you know, a rabbi that I could talk to if I wanted to, but I felt like philosophy really kind of opened up for me when I found it. I thought, wow, I can, I can not necessarily become more Jewish and have that as my only, uh, you know, philosophical worldview. I can study what philosophers um, and poets and other thinkers and activists and whatever have, have said throughout the centuries that's useful, that could be helpful to me. Um, and so I just, it kind of lit a fire underneath me and I've been interested in this stuff ever since. Jason, I can totally relate to your personal story. Um, I have the impression that in my case, I mean, there was this feeling of non-belonging because similar to you, I come from a different culture. I grew up in a different culture. I grew up in different parts of the world with religious beliefs that influenced the, the way I, I, I think. And I, I remember that the age of 16, that was the age where I started like feeling that if I don't belong to something, I need to find my own path. So, and books were like the kind of thing that was accessible. I, I studied in the French system. So all these French existentialists, we were highly consumed at, at my age of 16 to 18. I remember Albert Camus, uh, I remember Sartre. Uh, so it was a natural interest that it was not, it was not pushed by school, but it was like, hey, I want to understand how can I find meaning to, to, to the to where I belong. Now that's interesting. Uh, can I yes, just jump yes. in? It reminds yes. me of you know in the workplace or among students. Um, if you are doing something because you are being paid to do it, um, or because your teacher is watching you and is going to grade you, that's what you call extrinsic motivation, meaning yeah. outside of the person. Mm. Uh, and you know people, most people they they live um, what uh, Thoreau called the quiet lives of desperation, uh, something along those lines. Um, they just go through the motions, they get paid, you know, they, they work because they have to make money so that they can go do other things they like, you know, watch a football game or, you know, um, I, I don't know, uh, uh, play chess, whatever, whatever interests them besides work. But I think for people like you and me, and obviously many of your listeners, if you get um, really interested and enthusiastic about something, uh, be it your work or, you know, some sort of philosophical worldview 
obviously people get extremely into religion, um, you know, fitness, whatever. If there's something that you love doing, and I use the word love on purpose, then it doesn't really matter if you get paid or not. It's great if you do, but even if you don't get paid, you're still going to do it. And so I think you're drawn to the, uh, to the book like I was and, 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 you know, Stephen Colbert, the comedian was extremely into um, the Lord of the Rings trilogy when he was growing up and he's a fanatic about it. Um, these are all just kind of examples of how, or comedians, right? If you, some of these comedians, they started telling jokes when they were 10, they got on stage when they were 15 and it, you know, they're off to the races after that. They just love doing what they do. And so it's great if a person can have like this um, alignment or confluence between what they're doing in their lives and what they love. And there's a famous old quote, something like, if you love what you do, you don't have to work a day in your life. I think, I think Mark Twain said that. Absolutely. And it's interesting that you're, and I'm diverting of what we agreed that we should be discussing because I love the topic of intrinsic motivation. It's only in the last five, six years that intrinsic motivation is something that is quite often mentioned at, at work but because they have noticed that when you go and pay uh, and you do the, the typical motivator um, tactic of the carrot and the stick, people are going to improve up to a certain level for a very short time, intrinsic motivation depends in different factors. One of the, them being, I decide how the how am I going to do the things that I, I when I know the direction, I decide by myself, I, 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 I master what, what I do little by little, I get a little bit more challenge. And the third topic that is related to what we are discussing today is about meaning, that we need to find something that is beyond just providing extra money to the shareholders of the companies, meaning to do something beyond ourselves for the society because we are doing something great in a company. And that's what really drives engagement with, with employees. And unfortunately, it's only six years ago. I, we are quite fortunate that maybe four years ago, there was Daniel Pink who wrote a, a book about intrinsic motivation. I think it's called Drive. That is something that is quite, uh, quite useful. Now, Jason, regarding wisdom. So wisdom, we can say that more or less. I, I mean, I have my little understanding and that's why I, I, I wanted to throw it out there and I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to learn more things about wisdom today. Um, I think it depends on two human needs. One is about the need of becoming a better self, self-actualization, and the other one is transcendence to understand the overall, my position in, as a person in, in the world. So, and I wanted to understand what is the specific def definition of wisdom so that we don't misunderstand that in order to be a wise person, I need to be either an intellectual or I need to be in the, in the middle of the mountains. So we were talking just before about the sadhus in the middle of the mountains. So people who are leaving the society in order to, to have the time to, to reflect more, to, to inject, to feel more, nature and to be more connected with with our world so what is the definition of wisdom for you that's actually a, a difficult question to answer um it's it's one of the most challenging um you know virtues um skills uh concepts whatever to define and and that's not a coincidence i don't think because you know socrates uh who is perhaps the grandfather of wisdom let's say um you know he uh, was the thing he did essentially every day when he was ready to go out and, 
and have some fun would be to ask people in society in Athens, what do you think these values mean? Um, they didn't have a, a dictionary, uh, I don't think, in, in ancient Athens. So you couldn't just look up a word that's a, you know, sort of a complicated construct like truth, honor, justice, um, happiness, or wisdom. You had to discuss it. Uh, and that's, that's why philosophy, that's part of the reason why philosophy is known for being um, Greek in origin in a sense. Yes, the Indians and the Chinese um, and so on had, had made um, you know, significant strides in regard to wisdom, but the ancient Greeks are really the core of, of what I call Western civilization. Um, which is the approach to values and wisdom that I'm more familiar with. Um, anyway, so if Socrates was asking what is truth, and if in 2022 we're asking what is truth, then it's a complicated uh, you know task to figure out what it is. And um, but but it's, it's sort of like these top these things are like topics du jour because uh, you know Rudy Giuliani comes on you know television and exclaims truth is not truth that's a that's a quote from him and so he's trying to say do we really know what truth is how do you know that your truth is truth and maybe it's my truth and it sort of it it um it greatly complicates the matter to have uh people who are not philosophically inclined people talk about these values um such yeah. as such as that or um you know obviously a lot of politicians talk about a lot of you know, buzzwords, um, and they don't have a deep understanding of it. However, to answer your question a little more directly, I will say that you do not need to be a philosopher or you don't in that sense of working in a academic, you know, department, or you don't need to be in the mountains of Tibet or, um, you know, an Indian sage or whatever to understand wisdom. It's complicated, but it's not that complicated. Now it's also very, very, um, you know, like multifactorial. So it would be possible to have, you know, the Dalai Lama speak with, um, you know, a, a, an American philosopher and a English author and a uh, French poet and and ten other people, and they could all discuss wisdom from different perspectives. You know, the mm -hmm. Dalai Lama could say, "I think it sort of feels like this," and somebody could quote, you know. Avicenna from you know the, the uh, Arab uh, civilization you know from the Middle Ages and say well Avicenna said it was this and you can have a, a rich discussion about it. Finally, I will just transition to so what do I think it is? In a sense, it uh, it's I think multifaceted is a great word to describe it. Uh, you know, a, a facet is that cut on a on a gemstone where if you look at it in the light it reflects, you know, it shows you that you're at a 90 degree angle to the light. Um, and so a, a diamond might have, you know, I don't know, 200 facets to it or a hundred. Um, I think wisdom has, you know, at least 10 to 20 major facets and then maybe some sub topics as well. Um, the, the hallmarks that I think are most important um, center around what is a wise person and that's a theoretical question. What does a wise person uh, think, feel, and do? What are they like? And there has been some research on wisdom, you know, in the in the halls of psychology to say, you know, what is 
what are, what are these these people who score high on a wisdom scale? What are what are they like? And so, in my opinion, I think that you know something like this thread from you know Abraham Maslow um, forward, I think is is a pretty significant one. He was a, a psychologist who came up with this idea of self actualization that yep. you mentioned, um, which is sort of like the uh, epitome of of growth for a uh, human being. It's a theory, but uh, I think it, I think it's pretty solid. Um, I guess if I were to say, you know, seven things that I think describe wisdom, I would, I would probably connect it to things like, um, you know, judiciousness, um, perceptiveness, um, you know, excellent reasoning, um, a kind of um, vision, um, a keen introspection, the ability to relate well to other people, to see yourself as part of a system uh, as part of as part of a whole rather than being let's say selfish or self-concerned uh, being ethical uh, kind of above all else being ethical um, um, let's see what else uh, being able to manage emotion in a sense uh, to to use your rational mind to combine with your emotional mind to, to get a product that is superior to just one or the other um, that's the kind of what I call integration. So I could go on and on, but you know, if you're a compassionate person, you're 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 looking toward wisdom. If you think critically, if you try to think critically as you go through your life, you're trying to access greater wisdom. Those th those are some examples. Uh, Jason, so it, it's almost for me like wisdom uh, is like an umbrella that con contains some emotional intelligence uh, dimensions. It has also the aspect of critical thinking because you, you cannot be wise if you accept, absorb <clears throat> everything that you hear. You need to be able to select rationally. Uh, and you, you, you talked a lot about, I mean, about this specific aspect of, of, of emotional intelligence, which is two aspects, in fact. One, which is self-awareness, the building of self-awareness so that you don't, you are not guided by this part of your brain that is just em emotions, but you activate the part of your brain that is more, uh, that is going to be judging where you are going to activate your critical thinking and about this idea of interactions because you cannot be wise if you are just in your room uh, watching YouTube videos or reading books. <laughs> you need this interaction because there needs to be a debate because perspectives are going to create, build up your, your wisdom. That's my. That's what I understood from your uh, your key, key messages. The aspect of curiosity. I would guess that this is something that it is quite important because if you don't are not asking yourself questions, then what's what's the point? You cannot acquire this uh, this wisdom. So I, I I really like your your definition. Um, so yes, please. Oh, I just said thank you. Um, <laughs> you know. I can chime in at any time, but uh, but I, I thank you for what you say. I think you're I think you're definitely onto something, and I can appreciate that where you're coming from is a place of of um, you know understanding and and uh, you know you're not sort of like a a person who's like, well, I, I don't know anything about your book, and I don't really even think about wisdom. I'm into whatever um, personal growth, but I never really think about wisdom. I can tell that you have thought about many important ideas for quite a long time. And that's, that's kind of the heart of wisdom is like one of the most important things in the world, in the universe, 
you know, between myself and, and the ultimate um, with, you know, within myself, between myself and those people that I love or those people that I dislike, um, what are those most important things? How can I zoom in on those things, right? Because if you live a life of distractedness um, and where you get your wisdom, it's just kind of fed to you from various sources that are in authority, um, you're not really getting to the heart of the matter. Um, and some human beings have gone a long way in their lifetime to try to get to the heart of the matter. You, know, you mentioned uh, Sartre, you know, the plays he wrote and the, and the books he wrote and the discussions he had, you could tell he really wanted to discover what he thought was, was true and, and real and important and verifiable and uh, ethical. And that type of life is one that just, you just sort of live a life that is relatively wise by, by trying to go beyond being entertained all the time, buying things that the society says you really need, competing with other people inappropriately, um, just living, you know, sometimes it's called a life of the mind, you know, trying to be not necessarily like um, live an esoteric existence where you, you know things that nobody else knows, or you mm. commune with aspects of the universe or God that nobody else can do, or, or that is very rare, not like that, but just instead of watching the tube, you know, be like, I should discuss something with somebody or I should read something or I should go to YouTube and click check out, you know, what is stoicism or, you know, what is, um, what does love mean or how do I become happier? If you keep doing those things over and over again, you just find yourself making a habit. And I use the word habit purposefully of trying to live a life that is richer and more authentic. Hmm. And it's good that you're talking about habit creation because that leads us to the next topic, which is about, you have mentioned several times in your book that wisdom is a, is a learnable skill. And the purpose why we, we're having this episode of Learn With Besson is to demystify the fact that wisdom <clears throat> is a stuff for an academical guy <clears throat> who is going to be reading many philosophers, but it is something that we can acquire because we have mentioned that in the area of, of wisdom, there is a lot of emotional intelligence part and li literature in the last 10 years in, in emotional intelligence has, <clears throat> has demonstrated that this is something that you can uh, learn, program your brain to through something that is consistently done, the habits, uh, the habits story. Um, critical thinking is something that can be trained, but of course you cannot train someone with that one day training uh, and many 160 slides during the training. So it is something to be practiced. Uh, so what is your take that if I want to start building my wisdom in order to be, I don't know, someone who is, who is the better version of myself or really understand a little bit my position in, in, in the world, my purpose in life, how can I start in an easy manner so that I can build up? Because it's not a journey that I can do in a course online. It's not a journey that I can do, have in a corporate training, but it's something that I have to build for the longer term because it's never finished. How can I start, Jason? Well, um, I think wanting to, to improve and to see things for what they really are, to live a more authentic life and be more truly successful, um, happier, et cetera, just by wanting those things and focusing on them, it's a good, it's a good step, right? And 
And you see this, at least in America, with this quintessential situation where, you know, you've got a, a person who's kind of a, a street oriented individual, you know, maybe they live in, in an impoverished neighborhood, you know, maybe um, they, they have a, a peer group that's not very um, positive for them. They do, you know, illegal or at least, uh, you know, um, low level um, things with their, with their lives. Um, you know, you think of them as maybe like male, um, maybe not very well educated, um, sort of hopeless and not very highly valued by society. Um, those people, they, they're sort of destined to either have a menial job for the rest of their lives or maybe go to jail or who knows what. As you may know, Americans uh, go to jail in, in the largest numbers of anybody in the entire uh, world, more than the Chinese. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, that person could make a change. And one of the ways that you see change happen is either if they get excited about education or if they get, um, you know, fired up about sports or one, one thing that sometimes happens with that type of individual is they, um, they, they have a child. Um, if, if somebody like that has a child, you see a, a sea change in them almost immediately. It's as though the love um, and and the just the nature of of the way the human species works. As soon as they see that baby, they think, "Oh my God, I need to stop what I'm doing and live differently because I'm on the wrong track. If I keep doing what I'm doing, either I'm going to go to jail and never be able to see my child, or I'm going to turn my child into somebody who's mediocre or." A criminal or or deeply unhappy or addicted to opioids or suicidal or murderous or whatever and they just they start to be better they think i am responsible for teaching this child how to live in such a way that they're going to be happy and they're going to be healthy and successful and i'm going to be able to have a relationship with them they're counting on me i mean a baby an infant can't go for two hours without your help and so some of those people obviously some split but some are able to say, you know what, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to become a better person. But what this has to do with wisdom is the fact that when you, when you want to help another person, when you love them, when you want to be better as an individual for that person, that's like a deep type of wisdom. And, and you see this sometimes uh, manifested in the fact that they will say to their, to their child, no, you can't do that. You do not, you do not steal toys from other kids. Or you can cry if you want, but I'm not going to give you what you want. You can just go cry or um, don't touch the stove or, you know, don't pet dogs unless you ask. This is a person, a parent trying to teach wisdom to their child. The purpose of that is to make their child's life somehow better. Uh, and it happens when people are, when, when kids are teenagers, right? Their parents say to them, if you do this, this, if you follow along this path, if you do what you're, what you're doing right now, it's going to be terrible for you. These are going to be the consequences. The consequences are going to come either from us or from society. It's not going to be good. I'm telling you, that's how it's going to be. And then the teenager, usually they have a difficult time seeing that, right? They're like, no, I want to get a tattoo. I want to drink. I want to uh, not go to college. I want this. I want that. And the parents are like, essentially what they're saying is I have more wisdom than you do. I've been through this stuff. I've taken my licks. I know what 
you're going through what you should be doing and I'm trying to teach it to you, but you're not listening. And so that raises an interesting question about how do you learn wisdom? Because, you know, you can't teach a person doesn't want to be taught. There's a, a saying, I think it might be by Confucius or something. When the, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. If you're not ready as a student, you can't be taught. And there's a saying in America, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. So I'll cut myself off there. I can't really tie a nice bow on this on this little soliloquy I've been uh, giving you, but I'll just stop and, and, and let you take it. So what I what I take out of what what you just said is that so in order to change, one of the options is the change of context. So you mentioned the fact I get a child, I want to change my life because of the love of the of, of this child. Uh, the other option, of course, it can be. Uh, it can be like, instead of changing the context that we live in, is to say, how can I consistently develop uh, routines that are going to reprogram the old routines that I had in the, in, in the past? So we are living with, I don't know how many millions of rules by the society, don't do this, don't do that. Things that our parents have said, you are not good in math, you should be doing, you are a woman, you shouldn't be doing this type of studies, you should be doing some, something else. So how to reprogram these, these routines with new routines? So change can be the, 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 the way of just doing it like with micro steps, habits that, that you do that can be, that can make the less friction as possible in our brain because when we do a big change, sometimes we get in panic mode and we stop. And then the inf that influences our motivation to do it, right? When it becomes too tough, like, uh, oh, I have to study for one year to, to get that degree, or I have to, uh, to have a healthier lifestyle. I will have to go to the gym every single day. We, dro we drop it. Um, uh, something that is quite, that came to my mind while you, you, you were discussing is about, I don't know if you are a fan of Tim Ferriss, but I just watched one of his TED talks about um, fear setting. So thinking about the consequences. And I thought about that because you, you were mentioning that educating our children, telling them the rules of the game is part of the building, building their wisdom. But it, it can go even further. It, it can be to the, to the point that instead of, telling them the rules, it is helping them to create this mental process of set, setting, like having this fear setting, saying what happens if the understanding the consequences as a natural mental process that they, they, they can do. That's something that I find quite useful, by the way, this, uh, this fear setting exercise that Tim Ferriss was, was mentioning in his uh, TED talk. Uh, yeah, it, it, is, it is a way, but indeed it is about something that we can either, we can change behavior either by changing the context, where the situation where we are, or by building it with micro, micro steps. Yeah, there's a lot that people can do starting right now to improve their lives. Anybody who watches a TED talk um, is, is trying to become wiser, right? Because those things, they're all about wisdom. They're saying, here's what I know that can be useful to you that you can try to understand and make your life um, better. Um, mm. Absolutely. I, I do think that, as you pointed out, um, you know, training for a sport or maybe uh, losing weight or mm. maybe going to school, those are kind of good analogs for wisdom because mm. you can't do any of those things, you know, if you are trying to, to, 
to be marginal about it and give a, a half effort and you don't really care and uh, you don't love what you're doing and you don't, because think about how many days and nights you're hungry if you're trying to lose weight, right? Yes. It's like an, an endless challenge of, I want this, but I know I shouldn't have that. I'll have a little in moderation, but I can't go too far. And it's like every day, I numerous times a day, you have to remember what you're trying to do and remember what your goal is. And so Ooh. I think, you know, a wise, a wise individual is always trying to pursue their, their highest aspirations and the goals that they really um, value and cherish and have set for themselves. And it's a lot like losing weight because, you know, um, obviously if you have five pieces of, of cake because you're binging, um, you've ruined your diet for that, for that day, probably for the next three days, um, which is, you know, it's a type of a failure, but it doesn't mean that you can't come back from that failure and start over and, and, and do better and really try um, to be more successful in goal achievement. Yeah. Hey, by the way, when what, what you were talking, I was thinking that I read somewhere that the, the keyword the, in Google search of stoicism has grown during the last years because like in the 2000s, nobody cared about how, I mean, we were living the, the life of pleasure. Let's say that my generation started working and they eat certain choices of corporate life because of money. Uh, more and more people are, are thinking about how to develop themselves uh, in, in, in life or, or find a, a minimum purpose to what, what they do. So the concept of stoicism uh, has something that comes for, I don't know, 2,000, 3,000 years. Uh, you tell me if I'm, uh, I'm inventing, huh? uh, Jason. <laughs> a concept that comes back after such a long time, this is quite amazing, right? Yeah, um, <laughs> I think it is. Stoicism is relatively in line with with wisdom, absolutely. Um, you know, Buddhism is is also. Uh, you almost think of of the stereotype of the Buddhist individual, the Buddhist monk, there as being you know essentially tantamount to wisdom. And and clearly, if you ever listen to the Dalai Lama speak, you get the impression this man's pretty wise, and he's kind of on to the important things in life, and he kind of organizes his life in a way that is um, just kind of you know, good and useful and ethical and, and um, positive and um, progressive. Um, and so, yeah, I, I like stoicism. Um, one of the, you know, people in history who were probably most synonymous with wisdom would be Marcus Aurelius, uh, a Roman emperor. Um, there were only some, quote, good Roman emperors. Um, mostly they were a disaster. Um, yeah. But, but there were, there were, a number of them in a row um, that were that were fine, that were good, not perfect individuals, right? Because after all, they were leaders and they were leaders of a very broad, diverse, tumultuous, dynamic uh, empire. So they couldn't, you know, they couldn't just be like the Dalai Lama, you know, sit and talk and think, you know. In fact, Marcus Aurelius spent most of his time on the northern border of Rome trying to engage in war with the neighbors. Um, but, you know, he wrote a book called um, Meditations uh, mm. and, and he didn't intend it to be published. It was like a, a diary. And in fact, I think he suggested to his, his valet or whatever that it not be published because it was just a diary. Um, but he lived a life that was, he was always trying to live a stoic life, even though he was an emperor. 
So it's just, it's like these two things crossed maybe for one out of five times in his, the history of humanity where a person was interested in wisdom and did want to be a philosopher in that sense of loving wisdom. And they were also extremely uh, powerful and accomplished. Um, it, it almost has not happened uh, since because you find people like Hitler who are extremely powerful hmm. in a sense, and yet they're deeply unwise. You could tell how utterly unwise the man was if you just study him or watch a movie about him. It's like, what's wrong with this guy? Hmm. You know, why doesn't he understand the way that, that you know, it's like he was anti-wise. Um, hmm. And you find somebody like Martin Luther King Jr. You know, here in America who was relatively wise, quite hmm. imperfect, but also was sort of channeling you know, biblical concepts of, of, of goodness and justice and, um, you know, struggle and righteousness and love. And, uh, but these people are, are fairly rare. The rest of us, you know, can attempt to learn from these types of people um, and, you know, kind of to use a corporate um, phrase, employ best practices, <laughs> trying to be wise. <laughs> That's great. I, I, Jason, I, we need to touch base a little bit to the dark side of of purpose in life. <clears throat> so um, some philosophers may argue that human purpose or the search of meaning might be pointless. So, and I come back to one of my favorites I, I mentioned before, Albert Camus. So he wrote a book about the myth of Sisyphus. So, and I mean, just to, to, to put it in a nutshell, the myth of Sisyphus is this, the, the, the Greek part of the Greek mythology of a guy who was like punished to just the only thing that he had to do is something that is pointless, take a rock, put it in the mountain, throw it and do it again and again. So how can we start looking for life purpose if there is a danger that there is no response from our environment, that we are looking for this meaning in life, but at the end, it's, it's pointless. So to decide to do one thing, if and it, steps a little bit on the side of the ethics of, 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 of the morality of doing certain certain things and that it doesn't matter because there is no karma there is for some certain people it would be you die and nothing happens so some people can be have an awful life and die of natural causes some people can be writers from the beginning and die in awful circumstances so how do we do in order to deal with this dark side of understanding the meaning of life? I wish I had a good answer. It's, it's, it's complicated. And the answer is never um, truly um, valid, validly provided to people. They always have to determine this question for themselves. You know, um, my wife is a committed Christian. Uh, she goes to church every Sunday. She reads at church. She, uh, you know, volunteers. She, she absolutely loves Jesus Christ. That's not something that I personally uh, do. There are obviously Jewish people who, you know, they're Hasidic Jews. They spend constant. They're constantly thinking about God, what God wants from them. You know, Muslims obviously can be very committed individuals and and live a a very righteous and and you know. Um, you know, um, uh, what's the word, uh, earnest life, you know, they, they really want to exemplify the values that they, they see in Muhammad. Um, and then, of course, there are 
existentialists and agnostics and atheists, um, like you've mentioned, Camus, you know, who don't really have a, a theological understanding of the world, the universe, but they, they too have to make decisions for themselves about what they think. So there really is no clear, obvious, um, absolute, that's the best word, uh, understanding of what the nature of the universe is, why we're here, um, what you should be doing, why there's evil, uh, you know, how basically the Greeks would say, how ought we to live, question mark. Uh, it's never really been thoroughly decided. That's the bad news, but the good news is we all have the opportunity to decide for ourselves. Um, you can see this with a lot of Americans having quit their jobs in the last uh, two years um for various reasons um you know uh it's hard to find all the employees that you need uh nowadays the the unemployment is essentially you know we have this what you call full employment now because everybody who wants to work is is working you can't find anybody else to do certain jobs i think it's kind of indicative of, of american society when people are like you know what i would rather quit my job and be absolutely poor than to work in this job any longer. And that's yep. like ultimate statement. Like what is basically saying to your employer, what you were having me do for $12 an hour is absolutely bereft of meaning. I hate mm -hmm. it. It's terrible. You want me to wash dishes. And that's not to say that, that vegetables don't need to be picked and that dishes don't need to be washed and that roads don't need to be you know, refurbished. Those, those jobs do need to be done. Um, and I think a, a good society, one that is uh, headed in the right direction and has any concept of wisdom, tries to make it so that everybody feels like their work is important. You know, even the person who comes to pick up your trash, instead of thinking of themselves as being the lowest on the work uh, scale possible, they should think of themselves as somebody who is responsible for removing trash from, um, from people's houses um, which is really a very, very important thing to do if you think about it. Um, so, you know, if, if I'm at my best, I'm always thinking, instead of thinking of, to myself, look at that person, they drive a Bentley. Look at this person, they're picking fruit. Um, you know, one is obviously superior to the other. In a way, maybe the person who drives the Bentley is not superior in the deepest sense of the word. Maybe they got an inheritance and they bought a $300,000 car because, they're a loser. They're, they're a fool. Maybe the person who picks vegetables had to walk from El Salvador to get here and then came in, came in here illegally. Now has to live this strange existence where they're not really considered, you know, welcome or a citizen, but they still work. They work in the hot sun. They work all the time. They, they prick their fingers on thorns. They work, 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 work. And so, you know, the world's very, world's a very interesting place. Well, I'll, I'll I'll finish my statement with that. Uh, <clears throat> I got the feeling that, in fact, the <clears throat> this question about um, about the meaning of life in a broader in the transcendental um, sense is a little bit pointless because what we need to do some, somehow is like live a life that is in line with our own values. So if you are, I don't know, pro money, pro success, a status seeker. Uh, financial wealth and all that stuff. As long as you leave something that is that it fits with your values, it is it is fine. Now, but the thing is that society is changing, and then there is this 
I don't know, they call it cognitive dis uh, dissonance, this misalignment. And a lot of people are thinking more about human values. So the, 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 the share of market of these people of thinking about human values, that the, the guys who are leaving the jobs because they don't find any more fulfillment, it, it is increasing. So, and so if, if the, the journey towards the, 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 the finding purpose in life, it is, is going to be the thing that probably will allow you to live a, a balanced, more harmonious life with, uh, with, with a good level of mental well-being too. Uh, that's, it is in the journey itself that maybe we can find this contentment, this <clears throat> I feel good with myself because I have taken choices in the search for meaning. We cannot say that if, for instance, in my case, I, I did the choice to move as, as an entrepreneur, that, that, that is something that is valid for many people. It, is, it was valid for me. And finally, I don't even care if I am unsuccessful because I did a choice. I, cho I did it for the first time in many years. I did a choice that it was just mine without any influences. And I'm, I'm leaving it. I, would, yeah. I could fail, but it doesn't matter. That's that's very um, you know humanistic and existentialist in his orientation and and I do I do like that um, I think yeah. that one thing that Albert Camus said uh, in his book was we must picture Sisyphus happy um, Sisyphus being that that mythological yeah. character from from ancient Greece that you referenced the one who is yeah. cursed by the Greek gods to do the same thing over and over again every day that's that is considered pointless right because moving a, a boulder to the top of a hill every day and then having to start over the next day is it's the epitome of pointlessness. But I think what Camus was saying when he said we must picture him as happy is that in, in a sense, if, if such an individual can find meaning in what they're doing, you know, the outcome is not as important or what other people think of it is not as important as, you know, the decisions the person as an individual makes if they think that what they're doing has some importance, some value, then, then one can find meaning. You know, there mm -hmm. was a person who lived through the uh, Holocaust in the concentration camps yeah. um, named Viktor Frankl. And he, um, he is a true existentialist. His idea was even in the Holocaust, you should not become despairing or kill yourself or just become a cruel jerk. The reason <laughs> being you can always find meaning in any circumstance, even just by saying, I'm not going to let these Nazis destroy me as a human being. I'm gonna, I'm gonna resist, I'm gonna fight, I'm gonna persevere. There can be meaning in that. And some people, you know, they live a life where they're kind of stuck caring for their elderly parent and their elderly parent maybe has dementia or is very physically incapacitated. Or maybe somebody has a child who was developmentally disabled from birth or had a horrible disease early on. The lives they lead are not necessarily the lives they would have chosen, but they can do that thing with, with uh, you know, integrity, honor, and 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 love and commitment. That is a type of um, success and meaning can be found in that. Listen, we are almost almost to the end of, of this episode of uh, of Learning with Besson. I, I just wanted to wrap it up with with a personal question. Has the search of wisdom helped you on your personal life purpose? Hmm. <laughs> you weren't um, expecting that one, huh? You know, um, I think it probably has. 
but I, I will have to say, or maybe lament that even studying wisdom um, more than maybe one out of a million people has, um, it hasn't made me some sort of a superhuman where I, I know everything, I've got it all figured out. I'm super successful. I'm super happy. Uh, I love life. I'm killing it. You know, not exactly. Um, I think there's this, there's this concept in physics. Um, it's something like, um, you know, you can never reach an endpoint on a line because wherever you go, however far you go, it's like you still have further to go. You never yeah. quite reach it because if you divide it by half, you're constantly, you can constantly consistently divide it by half and never get where you're going. That's not, it doesn't really operate like that in, in the real world because obviously you can get to where you're going. Just, you know, people do that every day. But in a philosophical sense, it's like you, there's always more to go no matter where you are. And if you focus in tightly enough, you'll never really arrive because you're constantly um, seeing more in front of you. There's more in front of you. There's more in front of you. That's a little abstract and I'm probably not doing that justice, but I guess what I mean, it's like a metaphor for no matter how wise you think you are, no matter how much you know about wisdom, no matter how high your personal growth is, there will always be, you're constantly being challenged. There's always more room to grow. You can always think of that glass as being half empty if you're not careful. Um, you know, I'm sure if you were to put the Dalai Lama on Highway 81, which runs from North Carolina to, to Maine, uh, he would be driven crazy by the trucks that are on that road. I mean, they're just, they're terrible. They cut you off. They take 10 minutes to pass a car. It's like, ah. Uh. And so each of us, no matter how developed we are, will always be challenged because unfortunately, that's the nature of the universe. Um, we may wish it were different, but it isn't. Um, and so I, I think that my life has improved and become richer and more interesting and maybe in some sense more successful because I, you know, value wisdom like wisdom. But even now, you know, just two days ago, I said to my wife, I think I need something new in life. You know, um, writing the book took me, um, you know, more than a year and promoting it. Uh, I've been promoting it for four or five months and it hasn't been easy or fun or cheap. Uh, and so I'm thinking, I think I need a change. And I was thinking maybe I'll go back to school and get a new certificate or maybe a master's degree, something along these lines, because, you know, my, my financial life as an investor is sort of situated or, or satisfactory. And so I can't really glean any more meaning or fulfillment from that. Um, and if my book is not, you know, turning out to be uh, the world's greatest book and, you know, Oprah wants to talk to me, uh, <laughs> then it's like, what am I going to do this, this next? What's my thing that's next? What's going to challenge me and fulfill me and cause me to be proud of myself? Uh, and that's just, I think, how, how humans work there, no matter where they are, uh, you can have, uh, you know, you can be as rich as, as I don't know, um, I don't know, whatever, rich as Croesus, as the, as the saying goes, but there's always an Elon Musk or a Warren Buffett who's richer than you are, damn it. Mm. It's like, how am I going to get richer? Uh, so no, matter, no matter what your interest is, no matter what your expertise is, I know that um, academics, uh, academicians sometimes feel this way. They think, damn, I'm not the most successful person in my <laughs> field. You know, I, I publish a lot, but this person over here is publishing more. And so I'm not the highest regarded person. And so you always have to ask yourself, what can I do that will satisfy me? How can I find satisfaction in life? 
because otherwise you're going to be keeping up with the Joneses, as is said in America. And that is that could be a life of perpetual unfulfillment to be constantly trying to go further, strive more, become better, become more highly regarded, to be happier, happier, happier. Sometimes we just need to say, this is what I want um, at this time of my life. And I need to be satisfied with, with where I am, who I am, what my strengths and my weaknesses are. Lovely. Jason, so thank you very much for your time. So for everybody, I think that you publish quite regularly in your website, valuesofthewise.com. That's it. Mm -hmm. By the way, uh, there is a way also to co connect with you in the website. The other thing that is super, super, super important is about your book, your latest book, Wisdom, a very valuable virtue that cannot be bought, that is available in Amazon. You were mentioning that this is a time where you have to put a lot of efforts to put the voice out there about this book that is, I mentioned at the beginning. So it is not an elitist book. It is something that naturally people can relate to, that you don't need to have philosophical context in order to, uh, to, to read it. It looks for me quite practical. So I would really recommend to, to go and read it. In the meanwhile, you can follow the Learn With Besson podcast in YouTube or in any of the podcast apps that, uh, that, that we are. Jason, you know what? This is one of the few episodes where I, where I feel like in terms of uh, relatedness, uh, like I feel close to the way you think about your aspiration of curiosity. I, uh, I'm kind of that way. Maybe I have taken another path path that is non-philosophical in order to, to search, be interested about a lot of things. But I feel very connected to what you what you have said. It's very inspiring. And Jason, I really wish you success. Your books are something that is needed in, in today's world. And I mm -hmm. hope that many, many people will be will take the courage to open it and start the journey to wisdom. I appreciate that. You're right. You never know where you're going to meet a um, you know, Peruvian, uh, you know, Swiss, uh, you know, United Arab Emirates guy who's doing things that are interesting and who knows many more languages than you do, um, but who has, you know, um, who's in a way kind of a kindred spirit. So it's it's actually kind of a lesson in in um, not being prejudiced, you know, not not thinking, I don't know that, I don't know people from that part of the world, or I don't know people who speak differently than me, or people who you know, in America, we have a huge problem with political polarization where you think that person oh, yeah. is not like me, um, <laughs> but you never know who's going to be like you. And in a way, everybody is kind of like you in a way, you know, if you're stuck on an elevator for five hours with somebody, you're going to be able to find some similarities and some differences. And hopefully you'll be able to find some some respect for that person just by getting to know their their true self. Thank you, Jason. Have a lovely, lovely day. And Thank for you. me, it's the evening. <laughs> okay, good night. And you, I'll say good night to you. And I'm about to eat lunch. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>